The following is a Bunkazilla original production. We are monsters of culture. Well, hello there, and welcome to Bunker Mania, Bunkerzilla UK's official pro wrestling podcast. I am Jeremy Graves, and it's just me. There is no Decadane San, Mr. Ian Bolton, with me this time. As he mentioned on our most recent podcast that we recorded live on YouTube, more than likely won't be about for much of August when it comes to shows, because he's got a lot of stuff going on, sort of in a professional capacity and whatnot and such. So he's got a lot of stuff going on, and I said I was going to try and do a few bits and bobs here and there. This is one of the ideas I had was me simply just doing a solo show, talking about a few bits and bobs, and I'm going to be doing that today. I'm going to be talking about my thoughts on SummerSlam, probably not massively in-depth, but just the general overall feelings. Although there is one thing in particular I do want to talk about. It's probably not what you're thinking it is, because it's the one big thing everyone's pretty going to remember the show for. That's not what I'm mainly probably going to be focusing on, though that was pretty blooming spectacular and quite crazy and ludicrous, it has got to be said. Also going to be talking about some AEW-related antics because last week's episode of Dynamite, hot diggity dang, if you have not seen that Dynamite, it is well worth going out of your way to check out for a variety of reasons. So I'm going to touch on a few bits and bobs from that. Also going to be talking about some news items that have occurred since our last podcast, namely that there are details emerging, more in-depth details, I should say, about the AEW video game, which at at the time I'm recording this at about four o'clock or so, on Wednesday the 3rd of August, that being 4pm UK time, I should say. More details are starting to emerge, be it from the official website, and it also seems that things are starting to leak online as well about it. Not sure if I'm going to delve into the leaks, but at the very least, I'm going to touch on what has been officially announced and or mentioned in press materials. Also, Triple H appeared on Logan Paul's podcast. So I've actually checked that out. More just to try and check out the dynamic between Logan Paul and Triple H and just see what they cover. Got a couple of thoughts and feelings on how that went. So we'll be bringing you some thoughts on that as well. But before we go any further, if you are a first-time listener, thank you very much for checking out the show. We hope you enjoy it today. And if you feel so inclined, do hit that subscribe button on the platform of your choice. Be it if you found this bonus episode of the show on the likes of Spotify, Amazon, Google... You name it, we have done our best to make sure that we are on each and every platform. Also, make sure, if you feel so inclined to do so, you head over to YouTube and search for Bunkerzilla UK and hit that subscribe button because every so often, normally every couple of weeks, we like to do a live stream of us recording the podcast. So if you'd like to tune in live and add your thoughts into the chat, and when we do those shows, perhaps read any thoughts that come through as well, you can make sure to be kept up to date on that accordingly. But for this bonus episode, it is very strictly an audio-only venture, and I hope you enjoy it. So, let's begin with talk on SummerSlam. It took place in Nashville, Tennessee at the Nissan Stadium. And overall, I thought this was a, a good to very good SummerSlam. I have seen some people call this one of the best WWE shows ever. I would never go that far, because this show was not perfect, but it was a very fun spectacle for what WWE is like. And also, when it comes to this now being, uh, well, you say, you say the, sec- the second or third show in the Triple H era, it's the first premium live event of the Triple H era. There were definitely some statements made on this show. Some things also still very, very head-scratchy. 
And the show began with Bianca Belair defeating Becky Lynch to retain the women's championship. This was a really, really good match. It was a another wonderful match to add to their collection of matches that they have had, be it on other pay-per-views slash premium live events or on television. And also following up from last year's SummerSlam, when Becky came back as a surprise replacement for Sasha Banks, if memory serves, and just beat her in like 20 seconds, I was half expecting this could have gone one of a couple of ways. One being that Bianca just literally hits a move and gets a quick win, almost like that I've got rid of that, that demon, that ghost from last year. Or this was going to be a really flipping good match. We got the latter, and this was really good fun. Unfortunately, it has come out since that Becky Lynch separated her shoulder during the match, which when I was watching it, I was watching it on a delay the following morning, but I kept offline so as to not be spoiled. I did think something was up because there's a very poignant moment when she starts grabbing her shoulder. And the, the easy way to sum this up is you can tell when something's not as it should be. You can just tell. I've done some wrestling training myself. I've been involved in the world of acting and such m most of my life. The, the, the latter involved most of my life, I should say. I've done a little bit of wrestling training. And you can just tell when something is not as it should be. You, you can just tell. It's very, very clear. But ultimately... Bianca Belair was able to retain the title in what was a great match. But arguably, the biggest story following this match, well, actually, no, not the biggest story, because that does the match disservice. But in terms of what was going to happen next, we got a handshake between the two in the middle of the ring. We got an embrace. So that very much was a very defined end of a chapter. Th that's the bookend on this particular rivalry, this story where it's led up to. It felt very, very definitive, which then leads you to think, well, what next? That's when Bailey made her return. It's been over a year at this point since she was injured, because I believe it was that she got injured while training just before WWE went back to doing live crowds again, because that was just before Money in the Bank last year, if memory serves. And Bailey made her way halfway down the incredibly long entrance ramp. Then we heard some other music, which, gotta say, sounded very familiar when you first heard it. And if you looked at the sort of the video wall entrance that they had, you saw the name, and it was Dakota Kai, who is now back in WWE. She was part of the of a round of talent that was cut earlier this year. So Dakota Kai is back, but that wasn't all. As then, Io Shirai, now going by the name Io Sky on the main roster, made her main roster debut. And seemingly what this meant was we've now got three, we've got, well, Bailey has returned, but also two new additions to the main roster. And man, this was a statement of intent. If this, you can almost see Triple H's fingerprints all over this, given the history of the women's division in NXT and such. So you can immediately see this is a very clear direction, a very clear indicator that, yeah, Things are going to change. We need to freshen things up a bit. And this was a great way to do that. Ultimately, the three, the, the, the trio, if you will, that's the best way to sum it up, went to the ring. No actual interaction was had. But the crucial detail was that after the handshake that, that Becky Lynch did with Bianca Belair, she went outside the ring, but then came back inside the ring because at the time it was going to be a three-on-one encounter. But then Becky Lynch stood side by side with Bianca Belair seemingly turned face and that meant that Bailey's trio decided not going to get involved in anything physical today just going to head to the back so 
Very, very, very great stuff here to open up SummerSlam. Next up, it was Logan Paul having his second match in WWE, defeating The Miz. This match, Logan Paul's WrestleMania debut, debut match at WrestleMania, excuse me, was, was something really, really special. He did a fantastic job in that tag team match. And you could tell he's got a proper, almost natural knack for this. Like, he gets it. He really does. And this was emphasized in a variety of different ways in this match. Arguably the biggest moment of the match being where Miz was set up on the commentary table on the outside, and Logan Paul did a giant diving elbow from the top of the ring post. Freaking nuts, but fair play to him. Another poignant moment in the match was when Tommaso Ciampa, who has been hanging around, if you will, or has been part of Miz's entourage, was effectively kicked out but wouldn't leave. And this prompted AJ Styles to come out and basically fight his way to the back with him. So we've got something going on now, seemingly, between AJ and Ciampa, which I am all about. And another Triple H fingerprint, perhaps, because we know how much Ciampa and Gargano used to be big parts of the Triple H era of NXT. So perhaps a very clear indication of what is to come there. But Logan Paul and The Miz, it was fine. It, it was, uh, no, actually, that, that, that's unfair. This was good. This was a good match. It did feel very long, and some reports have come out after the fact saying that this match did go long, which resulted in stuff later being cut. But th this was this was this was fine. It was good fun. Logan Paul once again showed his chops. He's got some really good looking punches, I've got to say as well. I'm not sure if it was maybe just the camera angles, but just overall, this worked really well. Also, just going to say now, if you can hear some sounds in the background, apparently a plane is flying overhead. And despite me shutting my windows to make sure you couldn't hear the building work going on next door, apparently airplane sounds I cannot block out. So I apologize. Next up, we got a segment involving the maximum male models, which I know Ian and I have talked about on other podcasts that we've been recording for Bunker Mania. And this segment actually brought back Max Dupree, the former LA Knight who is a Triple H person, if you will, which Triple H really liked them. So, makes perfect sense, and the Maximum Male Models is now a quartet with Marseille Mansour, I can't remember how you pronounce his name in his new role, and we've got Maxine Dupree and Max Dupree. So, that's a nice little interesting detail, and very ludicrous segment. Just It was very, very goofy fun, but it was goofy fun that works in this context. So totally fine with this. No problem whatsoever. Bobby Lashley versus Theory for the US title. This match went about four, five minutes, if that. It was basically a nothing match. There was a point where Theory started to walk out, clearly because he was planning on cashing money in the back later in the night, which kind of goes against the whole idea that he wanted to be US champion and the double unified champ, but whatever. This was Quick, simple. Ultimately, I want to say it was Lashley applying the hurt lock after he sort of did a big military-style press above his head. Simple, fun, effective. Lashley got the win. Good. Next up, in what was billed as a no-disqualification tag team match between the Mysterios versus Finn Balor and Damian Priest, we got a regular tag team match that was no DQ that had the use of maybe a chair or so every so often. This was a weird one. 
Rhea Ripley was out there as well, which was great to see, quite frankly, and getting involved in some ways as well. But just the fact that this was very prominently billed as a no-disqualification tag team match, it just didn't make sense with the way this match played out. And the big moment at the end of the match was that the lights suddenly went out when Finn Balor, I think he called for a chair to be given to him by one of his comrades. And then we got some music playing, which I'm going to be honest, on what was... I've said this before. When watching something on the WWE Network, more specifically an event like a pay-per-view, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the headphones I watch on, but the audio for like crowd sound and music is utter garbage. I don't know how they mix it when it comes to the live feed, but it never sounds good. Commentary, you can get away with, it's people speaking, but crowd sound is just always crushed and just really distorted. It's never that great. And some music started. There was clearly some kind of structure, which basically was steps. And Edge made his return with his short haircut, and I think it was a red leather jacket. And this ultimately led to him spearing Damien Priest on the outside, I think it was, and then spearing Balor in the ring, and then Rey Mysterio getting a springboard splash for the win. And that was it. That's pretty much all there is to it. If we're going to get effectively a trios feud, which perhaps integrates Rhea Ripley into wrestling in that as well, I think that could be a really fun dynamic because you very rarely see any interaction of that kind in WWE. And if Triple H really is actually in charge, he might be open to trying something like that with someone the stature of Rhea Ripley because you can flip and believe she would tear Rey Mysterio limb from limb if she really wanted to. Very, very believable scenario. I can fully see that happening. Next up, we got Pat McAfee against Happy Corbin. Now, I wasn't aware of the whole bum-ass Corbin chant, which I'm not going to go into that. But this match, this match was fine. When I mentioned earlier, I said Logan Paul and Miz was fine and changed it to good. This match was fine. It wasn't perfect. I don't know what was going on, but there were multiple moments. And and obviously McAfee's not a full-time wrestler. I'm not holding it against him. But I can't remember. I was listening to another podcast where they were discussing this and someone summed it up best by saying that this was a match which could have slash should have gone wrong in so many ways when you watch it closely. For example, McAfee getting on the top rope and seemingly just constantly losing his balance every time he did it. But for whatever reason, it worked. Nothing went wrong. Even the finish, which I think was meant to be a Canadian destroyer that McAfee does on Corbin, but ultimately was a code red, which still looked really good because Corbin was proper stacked on his shoulders, so it was fine. But you know, sometimes you just get the feeling of this, something was off here, but it was fine. And that's what it was. Honestly, the highlight of the match was actually Corey Graves and Michael, Michael Cole on commentary. Michael Cole, Michael Cole was a really good announcer. We've talked about this before. Like if you've seen him do the UK tournament weekend, he was fantastic on that. He has had moments of brilliance. Let's put court like when Vince has not been in, shouting in his ear, when he has come across so damn well on commentary. This was an example of what he can do because he was so into his buddy McAfee being in this match. 
And the wonderful counterpoint to that was the fact that Corey Graves and Happy Corbin actually have a very close friendship with each other. I think Corey Graves was mentioning that he like slept on his couch for a while or something. So they've legitimately got a close bond and they played off that dynamic wonderfully. And the commentary added a heck of a lot to this match. So even just from a storytelling perspective and the word storytelling, I'm going to come back to probably very, very soon, actually, when it comes to some things was very, very well done in this match. Next up, we got Drew McIntyre cutting, cutting a fiery promo halfway down the entrance ramp, which from a visual point of view, looked freaking fantastic. Because the way WWE filmed this show was they really only showed you a half, two thirds of the stadium at most. It was from someone who's very much into television and film production like myself, I could tell they were very purposefully not showing you one side of the stadium. If you look at a lot of WrestleMania video packages in stadiums, they always do their best to show you as much of the stadium as they can to show you how packed it is. It was very clear they were trying to hide something. But that aside, Drew McIntyre has got this giant audience behind him. It's a great visual. He's also making great fun of the fact it's Brock Lesnar v. Roman Reigns again. And he does it in a way where you can tell he's got freedom to speak on it. But the crux of this is he's building up to the fact that at Clash of the Castle in Cardiff, he has got the shot at the championship. And whoever wins the main event, either way, he will be walking out of the stadium in Cardiff with the title. This came across really, really well. Drew's just, just great fun. When he can just talk like he wants to, it's really, really good fun. And this is also following, I believe, a match that he had the night before against Sheamus on SmackDown, which I've not seen, but I've heard it was just basically <laughs> just, just a giant brawl with weapons and stuff. It, apparently well worth going out of your way to see. I don't have BT Sports, so I can't see it, unfortunately. But apparently really, really good, good fun of a match. But obviously the other thing to know about this promo is that McIntyre got the whole giant pyro when he ends his promo thing at the end. So he raised his sword in the air and then he got fireworks going off at the top of the stadium. This means that they're properly invested in the Clash at the Castle main event, excuse me. So I can see this potentially being the time when Drew finally gets to win the championship in front of people, let alone in the UK. Next up, the tag team championship match. Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins get a whole big Tennessee Titans cheerleaders style entrance. They're also from Tennessee. They're in Nashville, Tennessee. It, it all The writing is on the wall, much like with Bianca Belair earlier in the evening, where you've got to give a hometown or a home state, if you will, victory. Everything was painted towards this. The big detail in the match going in was Jeff Jarrett's going to be the referee to make sure that following Money in the Bank, there wasn't another referee screw-up decision when they didn't notice that I think it was uh, Montez Ford's shoulder was up in that match when he got pinned. That was the big crux of this. How will Jarrett play ball? Jarrett played ball by being incredibly even. Didn't pick sides. There were moments when people perhaps not going to break the count of five to like break a hold or some punching in the corner. And Jarrett just pulled them back and basically just said, Oi, listen to me. I'm the ref. That's what it came down to. Then Jay almost 
super kicked Jeff Jarrett, if memory serves, but Jarrett caught it. And then that led to a big, a big chance for, I think it was Dawkins and Ford. Yeah, in fact, it was. Because then Dawkins hit a big power bomb on Jay, which then led to Montez Ford hitting that ridiculously great looking frog splash. But the splash took so much out of him that he was a bit hurt from it. And he took too long to cover, which then led to Jeff Jarrett very legitimately only counting two. And then Montez Ford to then be very pissed off at Jeff Jarrett. Didn't really make much sense other than a sense of just monumental frustration that nothing can seem to go his way. It came across as very petty from a character point of view of Montez Ford. So much so that this led to Montez Ford being outside the ring. The Usos then took out Ford with a couple of super kicks and actually threw him over the, the barrier, I believe. Then they got back in the ring, hit Dawkins with their, their 1D finish, the, the former 3D, and win. That was it. The whole thing about there being a screwy finish because of a referee, the referee screwing up the finish, didn't see the count, ruined it for the ruined it for the Street Profits. Got a special referee, but it's Jeff Jarrett. What's he gonna do? He literally called it down the middle. And there was a whole thing during the match as well where I think when Montez Ford was having his moment of saying what the heck after his frog splash was kicked out of, he basically just went, oh, we're in Nashville. This is all about you, isn't it? And your, and what you want, Jarrett. If Ford's not turning heel, I'll be very surprised because he did just come across a bit like a dick, quite frankly. That's just what it was. But kind of mind-blowing because this crowd was so up for the title change to happen. And it just didn't. Hmm. I'm, I'm still very confused by that. But hey-ho. Next up, everyone's not favorite music artist, Kid Rock, was in the crowd. Snogged someone very, very blatantly, flipped off the camera, and then suddenly Riddle appeared from the crowd, barged into the ring because his match was called off because he got injured. And what this led to was a brawl between him and Seth Rollins, where Seth Rollins hit a curb stomp on him, and then he got pushed away and Riddle had to get carried out because he was injured slash re-injured from this curb stomp. I don't know what this was for. I mean, partly praised to get them both on the show. Some of the word going around is that this is basically going to be the setup for them having a match at Clash of the Castle rather than them just doing it two months in a row on, on the premium pay-per-view, what, pay-per-view premium live event, whatever the heck it's called now. I get it. But in some ways, I think it would have been better to have not had this. That's just an element where if it's not on the show, why do it that way? I get the idea that Riddle is someone that the crowd likes, but I just don't think this did any favors for him. It just made him look stupid more than anything. So make of that what you will. Next up, we got Liv Morgan against Ronda Rousey for the SmackDown women's title. This match I really liked. It only went barely five minutes, if that. General story of the match was Ronda Rousey was just trying to just rip off limbs of Liv Morgan and was just clearly in some ways a cut above her, but Morgan was putting up a good fight. And what this came down to was Rousey having an armbar, 
on on Liv, but Liv was got to her feet, and ultimately, because Ronda Rousey's shoulders were both down on the mat, the referee started counting the pinfall. Now, you ha- it was a it was a very good way that they showed this. I'll describe my major issue with this in a moment. The way it was executed was very well done because you were focused on the shoulders. And after the pinfall happened, you immediately saw that Ronda was a bit annoyed about something. And then Corey Graves immediately started calling for, Liv tapped out. She did, I saw it. And the first replay they showed didn't show the tap out. Then they showed a different angle, the angle that we originally saw. And you can clearly see that Liv Morgan's hand tapped on in between the two and the three count. So what this meant was that the referee had screwed up the call and hadn't seen that something else had happened during the finishing decision of the match. Does this sound just a little bit familiar, everybody? I swear, forgetting the segment that happened before it involving Rollins and Riddle, this was the exact same reason we had the, the, the tag team title match. I'm still annoyed about it because that's why I keep stuttering. It's the exact same thing just with two different people involved. Now, admittedly, Ronda Rousey did then proceed to kick Liv Morgan's ass some more and then also kick the referee's ass. That was really cool. And it came across like Ronda had turned heel here. But the muddied water on this is they kept showing Liv outside the ring while the ref was being demolished. And eventually, she was obviously happy she was still champion, but had a little bit of doubt in her eyes as to how legitimate of a victory it was. But there was a moment when she did like an evil smirk, almost kind of like a, ha ha ha, got it, got it, I got the win sort of thing. I don't know how to feel about this. The whole thing involving the referee being the reason for this being screwed up again, why are we doing this effectively involved in two matches on the show? If this is just going to be a month-to-month build-up now, I'll freaking say it now. If this happens at Clash at the Castle in another match, it'll be three events in a row now three pay-per-view premium live event matches that this has happened on. And I don't want it to. But if this isn't now making Ronda Rousey turn heel, it makes sense. As, as Actually, I was talking to Ian on message, actually, after we had both seen the show earlier in the week. And we both, and he literally said it, that if Becky's face, this is the setup for the Mania match. And it makes perfect sense with that. So it wouldn't surprise me if that's the long-term build we're going for those two people. But Liv Morgan needs to look stronger. She got the big win over Ronda. Let her get a decisive win over Ronda in the first match. Her first title defense. WWE, some things don't change. And the way that they handle new champions, or Money in the Bank winners for that matter, go back into history and look at how some Money in the Bank winners more often than not have been handled. More than often, they're very regularly losing and don't get a win, and then suddenly are champion, and you wonder maybe why they're not as over as early as you thought they were, or should be. So yes, that is what happened with that. Kane was in the ring. He announced the attendance for the stadium. Why he was there, heck only knows. No point in him being there. Done and dusted, not talking about it anymore. Then, we move on to the main event. The last man standing match between Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. This match went on a long time. 
there were fun moments and I mean, look, look, okay, let's talk about what the obvious things. And by the way, in case you haven't figured it out, the big thing I wanted to talk about from SummerSlam was the finish to that women's title match involving Liv and Ronda. That's the big thing I wanted to talk about. But let's call it like it is. Brock Lesnar riding down to the ring in a tractor was freaking great. I've been reminded how damn slow tractors are, but it was freaking great. It was great fun. This match, however, was not great fun. From a storytelling perspective, this felt very definitive in Roman winning, despite having people getting involved and whatnot, and the tractor lifting up the ring and Roman comically falling back, which was freaking amazing. I'm not going to take away from that. But this match was just long. Constantly just getting counts up to like seven or eight, and then just all of a sudden the other guy just pops up. Just, I... There were, like I say, there were elements of this match that were good fun. In terms of Roman Reigns surviving Brock Lesnar, if this is meant to be the definitive end between these two, which feels like it is given that that Brock Lesnar finally did an F5 on Paul Heyman, through a table no, no less, and also like decimated the Usos in the process. I just, this wasn't particularly great. Roman Reigns got the utter crap beaten out of him. He didn't come across like the dominant champion that he has been now for, what is it, over 700 days, of which he has really not been about much, much like Brock Lesnar in some cases. There were elements of this match, and I'm going to sound like a broken record, that were very good fun. Some of the stuff involving the tractor was fun, that being a dynamic. The whole entrance stuff where Brock Lesnar is standing actually on, on the actual arms of the tractor it is really good fun. Also, if you've not seen it, you need to find the video of Brock Lesnar throwing the mic when he's done speaking and Roman just catches it in the coolest, most calm and collected way possible. It is a thing of beauty. It's so damn good. I think WWE may have actually uploaded it on their social, so do go and check it out if you can find it. There were fun moments in this, but I just wasn't into it. I was into the WrestleMania match far more from what I recall. I've not thought about the match in a while, but... Just Last Man Standing, the whole the whole 10 count thing for Last Man Standing, it just, it didn't work to their advantage in this match. This match was so long. It was over 20 minutes, I believe. And it felt it. It felt longer. And plus a quarter of the ring was freaking held up in the air, which when you think about it from the live attendees, you probably paid hundreds and hundreds of dollars to have ringside seats. A crap ton of people probably couldn't even see most of the action for the main event. But either way, Roman Reigns retained. That's the main story of it. In terms of being a bookend on a story, assuming this is the last match between the two, we'll find out in due course, no doubt. Fine. That's the end of the chapter. In a weird way, it's just an, it's a, it's a not needed epilogue. I don't think the match was needed. But so be it. It's what they gave us. As a main event, it was fine. I mean, also, I should say, the match itself went 20 minutes. Roman Reigns' entrance may have been on par with being the length of the match. Just saying. The tractor walked to the, I say walked to the ring, maneuvered to the ring faster than Roman Reigns, or perhaps near enough at the same speed. Maybe someone could do a side-by-side -side speed comparison. I'm very curious to know. But either way, that was how SummerSlam concluded. Overall, overall decent show. It was all right. Some bits of it were fun. Some bits I, I take umbrage with. Some good action, some very confusing moments. If you're going to watch one thing from the show, 
watch the opening women's, women's title match. That's the thing to watch from this. Obviously, people say watch the whole tractor stuff involving Lesnar. Yeah, watch the beginning of the match just for the tractor stuff. And then fast forward to when he actually lifts up the ring. You don't need to watch the whole thing. Oh, also, Theory did actually come out and try and cash in. Lesnar just F5'd him. That was the end of Theory. So that was the payoff to that storyline. Which also makes me think Theory's going to try and cash in at Clash at the Castle. So in theory, no pun intended, if we're going to get Drew versus Roman at Clash at the Castle for the unified title, what's the bet that Drew wins and then immediately there and then Theory's music hits and he cashes in? Hopefully, this will be one of the few times when WWE decide, no, we're not going to take away this moment from the fans and just do it. It would also echo when Drew won the title for the first time, if you recall, because he defeated Brock Lesnar at the empty arena WrestleMania. And then we then found out on Raw, he immediately defended the title again. I think it was against Big Show, because that match ultimately aired on Raw. So it wouldn't be the first time that Drew has literally won the belt at a giant, quote-unquote, giant show and then had to immediately defend it. Wouldn't be the first time. So there is some food for thought. And that wraps up my thoughts on SummerSlam. Next up, let's talk about AEW for a few moments, because Dynamite last week, man, this Dynamite was such a good show. If you've not seen it, really go out of your way to watch it. There were some excellent things on this. Some, some big things for me that I think are worth highlighting. The match between Moxley and Roosh that opened up the show for the title. Watch this. It's such good fun. It's just two people just beating the crap out of each other. It's very, very good fun. And it's well worth going out of your way to see. I think one of my... So in terms of what were my top moments from the show, this entire segment scenario, I think was my favorite thing. Because Ricky Starks defended the FTW title against Danhausen. And then immediately after he ultimately defeats Danhausen, he then effectively issues another open challenge, but actually says, although this time I have actually got more gas in the tank to do it. Now, in terms of who would be the person to answer the challenge, this, this did feel like the moment of whoever's going to answer this, if we are actually getting the match right now, there's going to be a title change. And then suddenly, Hook's music hits. Taz is on commentary for this as well. And you can tell there is genuine emotion going on because he's like, what what, what the heck is going on? I apologize if you can hear a phone in the background, by the way. He's just like, what, what the heck is going on? And then when the match is actually going to happen, you can tell this is, th- th- this is real, quite frankly, what is about to happen. Ultimately, a couple of minutes in, Hook wearing orange trunks, the same color that Taz wore and and that is associated with Taz and Team Taz, everything FTW, he wins the belt. Hook is the new FTW champion. We get an acknowledgement between Starks and Hook and Hook leaves with the belt. And before I get onto what happened next, Go out of your way to go through AEW's Twitter feed. There is a video with Taz talking about Hook with him right next to him backstage. It's wonderful. It's a great, genuine moment caught on video. It's well worth going to see. 
we come back from an ad break and Tony Schiavone is with Ricky Starks. And Ricky Starks is talking about how he put the FTW title on the map. He's been working day in and day out. Really, really, really great promo by Starks. Then all of a sudden, Hobbs just flipping blindsides him with a goddamn painful looking lariat. The sound was wonderful as well because the microphone was so close to Ricky Starks. And then he hits a, a spine buster on him. Hobbs has turned on Ricky Starks. Taz on commentary sounded so confused as to what the hell is going on. Hook was gone at this point as well, so there was no one else to help. And that's how that segment ends. But this, this was a perfect encapsulation. Airplane sound in the background in case you can hear them. This was a perfect encapsulation of a perfect segment. You get the, the match with Starks and Danhausen, which we knew was going to be funny. Also, if you haven't already, watch the Road to Dynamite video with the build-up video for Starks and Danhausen. It is so damn good. I cannot implore you enough to go and watch that match. It's so damn good. Then we get the, the extra open challenge with Hook answering. Perfect. It makes sense. It's a defining moment in the career of Hook. It just it makes all the sense in the world. And then you get Ricky Starks turning face because the crowd have always been cheering him for so long. He's just so damn good. And we get the face turn and Hobbs turns on Starks. This was so well done. I cannot implore people enough to check this out. It's so damn good. But in terms of really great promos, it wasn't the only one on that episode of Dynamite because Jungle Boy came out to cut a promo. And he had some choice words for Christian, which for the first time in so damn long, we've been wondering when are we finally going to hear something, I'll say real for want of a better word from Jungle Boy, like a real fiery promo. We got it here. He had some choice words, which legitimately, given what we've heard about him and the way he's been portrayed on television, you would never expect the kind of language that he was saying to come out of his mouth. It was magnificent. It did so much for his character, but it has now left a tease as to what is going to happen next. And maybe is Luchasaurus going to ultimately side with Christian? Because they did kind of tease that a little bit. This was so damn good. It was really, really worth going out of your way to see. Dynamite as a whole was a really damn good show. Go out of your way to watch it if you can. But you know what else you should go and watch as well? You should check out some recent episodes of AEW Dark. Because Pac has been defending the All-Atlantic Championship in various promotions around the world. More specifically, Rev Pro, and I think it was OTT in Ireland that he defended it once against as well. Those title matches are being put on AEW Dark. So although it's not necessarily being fully acknowledged on television he is doing this, I think they acknowledged the first title defense, you do get to see this championship being built up. And it is legitimately being built up abroad. It's really, really cool to see. So... Go and check out some recent episodes of AEW Dark if you want to see. I think it's three title matches that Pac has had now involving the All-Atlantic Championship. I've not seen the most recent one yet, but if you want to go and see them, they are on AEW Dark. Or, of course, check out the appropriate promotions on demand services, and I'm sure you can find the original version of them there. Let's move on to some news notes before I start to wrap this up. So Ric Flair had his last match. I have not seen it. 
I do not intend to see it. But based on the reports I've heard, it really comes across like that this match probably shouldn't have happened. It doesn't sound like it was ideal. I'm sure for those in attendance, it was an experience. I've heard many people say those watching live were just terrified of what, they're, what they may be about to see. I'm, I've been very, very mixed feelings about this, but if you want to see it, the event is up now. Apparently loads of other matches on the show were really good fun. So maybe go and check out the other matches on the show. But in terms of that last Ric Flair match, no, I'm not watching it. As far as I'm concerned, Ric Flair was given the perfect retirement when he had the match with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 24, I think it was at this point. Was it 24? Jesus Christ, that was a long time ago. Flipping heck, I've just suddenly thought of how long ago that was. That was the perfect retirement in the match with Shawn and then the following night, him getting that send-off on Raw. It was perfect. Nothing else should have come after that. Ultimately, it did. I won't deny there have been some fun moments with Flair since, but they shouldn't have been in the ring. Just shouldn't. So if you want to go and see that, I think it's on Fight TV. You can go watch it on air. It's part of the whole StarCast thing that happened. So do go and check that out. A couple other things then before we wrap up. So I mentioned Logan Paul's podcast earlier. Now, again, I'm not a massive Logan Paul fan, to be quite frank. I... I will be removing the fact I have seen this and watched this podcast from my YouTube history, quite frankly, because I don't intend to watch any other episodes. I just checked it out purely for Triple H. That said, he does come across really well, this being Logan Paul and Triple H for that matter, on this podcast. The thing that I was very curious about is how was Logan Paul going to come across with, as he kind of mentioned on numerous occasions, and Stephanie was actually in the background as well, watching off camera, with his boss sitting in front of him. And the way that this interview went down was sort of the main crux of it. This is what it felt like to me was it was a chance for Logan Paul to have his boss effectively help him and his audience, or sorry, effectively help his audience to get a better comprehension of what Logan Paul is now involved in and his co-hosts as well, because his co-hosts, were kind of in that ballpark of they weren't fans before Logan had signed up. So there's kind of a few dynamics there. And a big thing that Triple H was putting across was the emotion and the connection of a character or person on screen, first and foremost, being the most important thing and moves while still being important, not being the be-all, end-all that you put as a priority. And also about taking risks to get to the next level when it comes to storytelling. And he used a lot of movie comparisons to emphasize that. I think there was an Apocalypse Now comparison being one of them, more specifically talking about could use like a thousand gun bullets or just one and hold someone in the palm of their hand effectively, the audience in the palm of their hand, not his words, I'm just paraphrasing, for about 30 minutes or so. Another interesting moment I thought from the interview which, like I say, is worth checking out, but I don't intend to watch or listen to any other Logan Paul's podcast unless something interesting comes up from it. Was Logan Paul talking about wanting to bring more people in and effectively helping to create viral moments that would make people want to watch WWE or check it out, and from that, to get them hooked? 
onto the product, which Triple H was very receptive to. And it makes a ton of sense because Triple H readily admitted in quite direct terms, he had no flipping idea who Logan Paul was when the idea first came about of him being brought in. So you really get a sense of the picture of how this relationship could develop. But also, one thing I really liked was Logan Paul pretty much coming out and saying, look, I get I'm the new guy. And I can tell there are some people who have worked for decades doing this. And now I've come in and I've basically been given a cheat code to get in front of them. That's pretty much what he said. And he is very receptive to that and gets it. But he wants to prove himself. And that's something that Triple H acknowledged as well. And that he knows he does because he literally has gone 100% into this. So Logan Paul's podcast with Triple H, I think it's called uh, Impulsive, if you get the wordplay. If you want to check it out, it's available now. You can find it on YouTube. I don't know if it's on any other platform, quite frankly. Again, don't intend to find out. But worth checking out, more just anecdotally, and just to kind of gauge where Triple H is at. Another interesting thing is they did bring up Vince McMahon in the conversation. It was actually Logan Paul that brought him up first in relation to Vince having been so kind to him. And they did acknowledge stuff, stuff that Vince has done. And Triple H, when it came to his new position, basically said he knows he can't fill the shoes that he's that he's going to try, but he couldn't not take the opportunity to take it in a new direction that was presented to him. So I think that was a very powerful thing that Triple H said on that. And finally, before I wrap up today, let's talk about this AEW video game known as AEW Fight Forever. Part of the Wrestling Observer website, the official website of THQ Nordic now contains new information about the game as well as features of its career mode. Quote, AEW Fight Forever's deep career mode highlights the fun and personality of all elite wrestlers' life on the road. Players can create and develop their own wrestler who joins the AEW roster and appears in matches and stories over an event schedule. Points are earned by winning matches and fulfilling certain objectives, which can then be used to enhance their wrestlers' stats. The website reads. The website also revealed that movesets, entrances, and arenas in the game will be customizable. The specific quote being, quote, AEW Fight Forever's wide range of customization options include wrestler attire and wrestler attire and appearance, excuse me, movesets, entrances, teams, and arenas. There is also a, a quote from Kenny Omega and representatives from Ukes and THQ as well, which reads as follows. One of the first things I did after signing with AEW was to ask Tony Khan to let me help assemble the best gaming team on the planet to make the best wrestling game ever, said Kenny Omega. Well, we just landed the perfect finisher by partnering with global publishing and distribution powerhouse THQ Nordic for AEW Fight Forever. The THQ brand has long been synonymous with wrestling games. There is simply no more qualified partner to bring AEW Fight Forever to millions of wrestling fans around the world. End quote. On the actual website itself, which for reference is aew.thqnordic.com, a couple of other notes. Match types. More match types than you can count. Single, tag team, three-way, four-way, ladder, casino battle royale, falls count anywhere, unsanctioned lights out, and barbed wire explode. Sorry, an exploding barbed wire death. <laughs> it's just how it puts it. 
Online co-op. Wrestling goes completely next level with tag team matches that feature sequences of team maneuvers performed with simple commands. Now, there are also some screenshots on this website, which they've called media in the context of this. And there's some interesting choices here. We've got some moments of like a replay. We've got Kenny Omega literally kneeing someone in the face, which looks great. One of the more prominent screenshots I want to draw attention to if you go onto the website and have a look. There appears to be a baseball game in this game. I don't know what it is, but it looks like you're playing baseball with a kendo stick. I am so up for this. I do not know the full context. If we're going to get something like you would see as like a bonus game in like a Tekken game, like when there was Tekken bowling or something, I am so down for this. I have no idea if there is a bowling game. Probably not, because why would they put that in there as well? But either way, I can tell this is going to be good fun. The game is going to be coming to PS5, PS4, Windows, Xbox One, Xbox Series XS, and Nintendo Switch. You can also pre-order the game now. It is on Amazon UK. Looking at the PS5 version specifically at the time of recording, it is listed at $49.99. Now, there isn't an exact date it's going to be announced yet. It's just got a placeholder of December 31st. But there was a teaser trailer released earlier today from AEW Games' Twitter or from the THQ Twitter. It was one or the other. Pardon me for not knowing exactly off the top of my head. And notably on that, I believe it said that August the 12th, there is going to be some kind of new reveal about the game. In fact, yeah, here it is. It's actually a tweet from THQ Nordic. And this touch of nostalgia is just the beginning. Follow at AEW Games and tune in during the THQ Nordic Digital Showcase on August the 12th for more information. So there you go, everyone. AEW Game News is coming. I am excited about it, and I'm sure once Ian is back and we can talk about this a bit more in depth, we are both going to be very excited for this as well. With that being said, I think I'm going to wrap up here. I've gone just about 50 minutes or so looking at my counter here. So thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy this, please let us know on the likes of Twitter and such. You can find us on Twitter at Bunkerzilla UK. If you want to reach out to me personally, I am Jeremy G underscore underscore on Twitter. And following on from that, Dynamite is tonight at the time I'm recording. I'm not entirely sure everything that's on the show, but next week's episode is the Quake on the Lake special. So I might do something following up on what's happened on Dynamite this week. I might touch on something else because there's still lots of other wrestling I would like to talk about. Maybe I'll go back in time and do something else. But uh, if you did enjoy this solo venture, do let me know because I would be curious to know if you enjoy this format, if it's like a good little stopgap until Ian is back. If not, then please tell me I just won't do another one until Ian's back. I won't take it personally. Very much an experiment. But any feedback would be most appreciated. With that being said, from myself, Jeremy Graves, thank you very much for checking out Bunker Mania. Make sure you tell a friend about the podcast. And until next time, I will speak to you soon. Take care. Enjoy the show. Discover more Bunkazilla originals at bunkazilla.co.uk. Ooh.